Welcome to episode 75 of the Triage Method podcast. My name is Gary McGowan and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Paddy Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? I am positively fantastic, Gary. You've been holding it down while I've been away. Well, I've actually been back since you've been holding it down. But anyway, yeah, so you've done the last two, two episodes, which I've listened to one and a half of them. So... Yeah, they were pretty stupid, weren't they? It looks like you've done a good job while I was away. So <laughs> I respect that. I thought we were going to troll our guests and just be like, yeah, we're never having those guys on again. Jesus. It's awful. No, 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 no. We would never do that. <laughs> yeah, they were good, good episodes. So and if you haven't listened to them, go back and listen to them. Um, but today we are going to discuss... Some sort of injury stuff, I believe. Yes. So what we're going to talk about today is like, we're not going to just do like an overview of injuries because like that's not really a podcast thing. You can go read about that. Like today, what we're going to talk about is how to respond to injury in the gym, and like it won't just focus on on when it happens in the gym. But I think what's really lost or, or what, what's not discussed often is how should you actually respond when you do experience some sort of pain like should you just not train because like that's if you go to your gp you know you go to your doctor and you ask them oh i hurt my back in the gym what should i do they're going to be like is going to say the same thing um so we want to essentially give you the, the guiding light as to what you should probably do if you do experience pain in or out of the gym. And this is something that we have touched on in the past. You know, we've discussed pain, we've kind of discussed injury. We had a podcast with um, Dr. Mary O'Keefe about back pain. So this stuff won't be new to those of you who are regular listeners. And if you've read some of our, our articles related to pain and rehabilitation on our site, you'll probably have some insight into how we might start to think about these things. Um, but yeah, the reason we wanted to discuss it was because I had a personal trainer down to visit me in Cork yesterday and he was bringing up the, he was bringing up a story, you know, about the pain that he's experienced over the past two years. So he had a patellar tendinopathy, which is basically a type of injury to the, the tendon that connects your patella or your, or your quads or and your quads. Um, to the top of your tibia, so your shin bone, basically. So it's an injury to that area. So the result then has been knee pain for, for two years. That's kind of been flaring and backing off and flaring and backing off. And the way he told the story reflects what I'm often told by, by my clients about their past injuries and about people who might message us on Instagram or email us. And it's basically, you know, he had the pain initially. It flared up, so he, he rested. And then he came back and started training again, thinking it was okay. And then it flared up and he rested. And he kept going in that cycle for a period of about two years. And that's what most people do. Sometimes that can be totally fine. You know, it, it works for some injuries. Like, for example, if you fracture your wrist, you go to the hospital, you get a cast on it, you rest it, you come back, you start training again, and that's fine. But if you've got something like a, a tendinopathy, one of the things that's really not good if you have a tendinopathy is rest. Like you don't want to rest it, you need to load it. And navigating that sort of space is where things get challenging. And particularly for the more, what I would call, you know, benign pain experiences of the everyday gym goer, like, you know, 
you tweak your back a little. Nothing is really wrong as such, but you got a bit of back pain. It's probably going to be gone in a few days. You don't need to go and totally rest for that stuff. So, so that forms the foundation. I won't keep rambling for now, but, but that's where we're going to go with this conversation. Yeah, so I'm kind of hoping this episode, uh, a more practical episode, like go back, yes. listen, read, engage with all the other content we've given out about pain, injuries, etc. And this episode is essentially a guide to, well, yeah, to an extent of what you should do. Like, obviously, I can't say this is exactly what you should do because I don't know what your injury is. I don't know, like, we don't know what has happened to you and whether this advice is 100% practical for you or it's for a different type of injury. Because, again, I think this, whenever you talk about, well, anything, yeah, pretty much anything, full stop, um, there's obviously shades, there's nuances to the discussion, you know? And this is the truth with a lot of what we discuss and obviously that's what we try to do on the podcast, like give you the nuance, give you the, the, the thought process around how to actually navigate that. But once you start breaking this stuff down into little like sound bites, you can be left kind of going like, oh, this is what triage says we should do in all cases of injury. And it's like, that's, that's not what we're saying. So there's, there's kind of, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, a dilemma in terms of, when we give this practical advice, to some extent, it's going to sound like just ignore the pain, right? And that, that can be a fine, like a perfectly fine recommendation, you know? Like obviously to some extent with, with actual nuance to it rather than just, just ignore it, bro. Um, yeah. But people can be left thinking that, oh, I just, again, any pain, it's just, just work through it, just keep pushing. Who cares, right? That's obviously not the case. Maybe the case with certain injuries. Like I always think like back injuries. Well, yeah. Back injuries are one of those ones where it's like you can kind of just work through this, but at the same time, you basically just have to be a little bit more cautious than you normally would. However, this is where the other side of it comes in. Someone gets an injury and all of a sudden they're essentially scared of movement, you know, or oh, Jesus, I, I could never do a squat. Like, I, I tweaked my back before, you know. Like, my, my vertebrae would basically shoot out my back if I, if I did a squat. I couldn't be under load, you know. So navigating that either side, you know, where it's like, you don't want to just be like, just ignore it, bro. But you also don't, but you need to be somewhat cautious. But you don't want to be so cautious that you're like, oh, Jesus, I could never move the way my body is supposed to move, you know? So that's the, 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 what we have to navigate. So when we're talking about these practical, well, hopefully practical recommendations here, you have to kind of couch that in your own framework where it's like, what is my particular injury? What is my training history? What is my overall history around, well, just yourself, I suppose, um, but especially around injuries in the past? Like, what have you been taught what do you automatically think when you think of the injury you have like is it like catastrophizing where it's like oh god like or are you more on that scale of like yeah just ignore it like who cares you know because again it's it's not great to be on like fully on either side of those scales you know and i think sometimes when we talk about this stuff it can seem like we're saying just ignore it you know which is not 
is, is not the case. You know, like you still need to do stuff like manage your load, manage your overall training, perhaps change exercise, do whatever. But again, it's going to be injury specific and individual specific. But anyway, Gary. Yes. So like you said, either end of that sort of, that sort of spectrum of character traits where you are, you are the individual who's likely to catastrophize, to worry quite a lot and to, you know, to totally back off everything and freak out and be afraid to move. And like, that can be advantageous in some cases, you know, you rupture your ACL. Cool. Like you, you probably don't want to go and like do loads of like, one RM squats right away or go sprinting and change your direction like just after you rupture your ACL. Probably not good. So there's times when that can be a useful trait. Like similarly, like let's say you do have uh, quite a traumatic back injury that involves like the, a loss of sensation in your lower limbs. Like you lose sensation in your lower limbs and you, you can't feel them and there's clearly neurological compromise there. In that case, I want you to be the person that's smart enough to be like, oh shit, yeah, someone needs to get me to, to A&E um, because this is important. So being the warrior can, can be useful. Where that's not useful is when you, you're doing some deadlifts one day and at the end of your set, you feel, ooh, you know, a little, little bit of a, a pinch in your back, a little bit of pain. And that's, you know, that pain is kind of bothering you a little bit. It kind of hurts to bend over. If you're the person that goes from that, from that initial incident to avoiding the rest of your sets, which is reasonable, to avoiding the next session, which is like, ah, oh, all right, okay, to avoiding going to work and to and avoid engaging in social activities, like that's where things get messier. So that's where things get more difficult for that person who who catastrophizes because we know that um, it, do, having those sorts of behaviors and those sort, sorts of responses to the onset of pain that predicts worse outcomes in the long term. And a lot of the times, a lot of times when I consult with people who would have had like things like chronic low back pain, so low back pain that's been persistent in the long term like particularly in lifters they'll tell that story where you know i was lifting and i you know i hurt my back and i went to the physio and they said this was wrong and the doctor said not to lift so i haven't really trained any of those lifts since and i you know i've been really worried about my posture etc etc so that does come up but on the opposite side of the spectrum it's also not like and i would probably put myself more towards this side of the spectrum which can be bad sometimes where you're the kind of persistent coper where regardless of what you feel, you kind of just drive it on, you know, you kind of just drive it on and that can be really positive. You know, if you're that person that gets a little bit of a back tweak, just something small and you kind of adjust the load and just kind of keep on, keep on going, that can be useful sometimes. If it's the case that you do that session on session and you're constantly going to failure on your lifts and like even though the pain is consistent or worsening you just keep lifting like to max effort that's where things become a little bit problematic and again it can it can, it can be, become more problematic if you've got something like uh let's say you get a, a hamstring tear you tear your hamstring you know you've got a loss of range of motion and everything and like you're really you're really struggling but you go in and you do your max deadlifts it anyway it's like all right that's you know that's pretty stupid like that's just it's just not smart so you can have you, you, you want to essentially be that person that's somewhere around the middle that takes the positives from both sides. And in this podcast, that's essentially what we want to tease out. So, like, first of all, I think it's good to get an idea of what we're not talking about. So the advice we're not going to be giving is, like, how to train through a ruptured muscle. 
like or how to train through it, like a, a ruptured ligament or like things like neurological compromise. Like if you've got genuine neurological symptoms, like a loss of power in one limb and you can no longer lift it up or you've got no, no feeling in one arm and no feeling in one leg or you've had uh, a, a torn hamstring and there's very clearly like loads of bruising and swelling. Like if you've got things like that are involved or fractures, like you should obviously be consulting with a healthcare professional. I hope we don't have to give that the disclaimer, but that's useful to, to, to get out there anyway. Who we are talking to are the people who are, you're experiencing some sort of pain. There's no, there's no very defined cause that needs like surgical intervention or you need to be in a cast or there's a very defined like rest period or whatever. So there are things like back pain, like most cases of back pain tend to be like there's no like identifiable cause like it, as in it, it's not it's not one specific structure that you you need to identify but that's lots of cases of back pain you know knee pain that's kind of come up um in the gym when you were lifting at a higher intensity you experience a knee pain and um, shoulder pain you were at brazilian jiu-jitsu someone held you in an americana and you were like oh you know uh, that didn't feel so good what do you do now they're the types of situations that we're talking about here so where I go from there is, this is not a totally perfect analogy, but I like to try to get people to think of pain as one of the manifestations of fatigue, okay? It's not perfect, and I'm not saying pain is fatigue. So recognize that this is solely for the purpose of illustration and not to be learned off as the theory of pain. <laughs> but I like to, th to, to, to kind of just explain that to my clients that you know when you're, when you're experiencing higher levels of training fatigue, one of the things you might experience is higher levels of pain. Okay, that, that can come along with that. And if you can start to frame it in some way like that, then we can start to use smart strength conditioning or programming principles that we would use in general for the management of fatigue. And that's because we can essentially like manage pain in that way. So an example would be if you were that person who who like tweaked your back a little bit in the gym, you had a little bit of back pain, you didn't feel like doing the same weight again, then you ask yourself, like, what do, what do I need to adjust here in order to tolerate this load? So it would be the same as if, you know, you were super fatigued going into a session, your performance wasn't there, and you're asking yourself, what can you tolerate? But instead of using solely your max reps as like what you can tolerate, you're also like bringing pain into the picture. So like, what can I tolerate? in terms of pain. So for example, you could have been doing 140 kilos for sets of eight on deadlifts, and that was what you could initially tolerate. But now with pain, you can kind of get to the point where you can do 100 kilos for sets of five, and that's what's tolerable at the moment. So you go on and you do that, and you do that without worrying that you are doing damage because that's, that's what you're tolerating at this point in time. So it's hard to give a specific recommendation as to what that is because it is context specific. But what that allows you to do is to, one, not be the person that's just pushing on regardless. Like, you don't want to just keep doing sets of five to failure if you're getting persistent increases in pain. Because some people do that, and it's probably not a good idea. Likewise, you don't want to just avoid deadlifts or bench press or whatever just because you have a little bit of pain. Instead, you want to make some modifications so that you can make that load tolerable. And that doesn't just come, come in the form of weight on the bar. Like you can break this down into a number of different components. One is weight on the bar. So you can adjust the load that you're using 
to try and make your training on a given day tolerable. Obviously, that's specific to resistance training. If it was something like uh, running, then you would adjust the pace at which you were running. So you might go from four, four minutes per kilometer to six minutes per kilometer because that might be what's tolerable. Um, similarly, if you were doing something like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you might just tap sooner. Or you might say to your partner who you're rolling with, you know, you'd say, here, I actually hurt this shoulder. Um, so, you know, if you get into that position, um, I'm just going to say tap right away is it just, just to remind you. And then he might, he might go slamming you down right away like a crazy white belt, you know? I probably so, <laughs> don't be weak. Um, but yeah, so like you could see how it transfers into different sports. So that's like the, the kind of the load aspect. Now, the other one would be to very simply, like it goes along with load, but adjusting the repetition range. So if you were to do, to do sets of five on squats um, today, but your back's a little bit sore and you know you can tolerate less load, then why not just do higher reps? So change your, change your programming in favor of maybe like the 10 to 15 repetition range. We know that you can still get a positive training effect there. And if that load is tolerable for you, then there you go. That's what you do on that given day. Similarly, if you were to transfer that over to running, you know, instead of doing your interval runs at a very high intensity on hills, you might do a longer, slower session because that might be tolerable on the day. So again, you can see how we're building in these different training parameters. Then you've got like, it's, it's more, a little bit more resistance training for specific, but the range of motion that you work through, like this is a huge one and it's such a, an easy thing to modify. Like for example, if you're doing a bench press and you find that coming down and coming down with the bar, when you touch your chest, that's the point where the pain is. If it's specific to one point in the range, then you can then modify the range of motion and again, continue training. So you're able to then adjust the range of motion so that you're not exposing yourself to the position that's very painful at the moment. And then you'll re-expose yourself again gradually over time. You could, you, you could, you could talk about that in relation to running by saying that um, instead of doing, you know, so some running coaches will cue you on different step rates. So what you might do is maintain the same pace but perform more steps um, at that same race. So you shorten your stride length and you perform more steps. And sometimes that can be enough to modify the, the pain that you experience. I've done that with some clients um, and it's worked really well. I've done it myself with knee pain and it's worked really well. So all those things can change what you're experiencing. And then again, one of the things that's really nice for resistance training is just change the tempo you used. And what you might find is that coming down your squat, it's really that, that spike at the change of direction where you're dropping into the hole, that that's where someone experiences pain. So what you can then do in that case is say, okay, cool, let's do a three, one, three, one squat. So you're coming down for three seconds, pausing at the bottom, up for three seconds, and pausing at the top. And you're just adding in that extra element of control. You're making sure that you're really in control of the weight and there's spikes in the load as a result of those kind of inertial properties um, of the weight as, as it's accelerating towards the bottom. Um, and again, none of those things tend to act in a vacuum. You know, if you adjust your load, you pretty much automatically adjust your repetition range. If you adjust your tempo, you adjust the load that you're going to be able to lift for a particular repetition range. So it all just end, end, ends up coming together. Um, and then finally, you've got your, your relative effort. So your RPE or your reps and reserves. So if you find that it's really when you're pushing to failure a lot that you experience pain at its worst, then you can simply stay further from failure and continue to train um, and get those adaptations or at least continue exposing yourself. And that can be a really, really useful one because I would say that that's probably one of the, the things that, that a lot of trainees do, do quite poorly. 
Um, you see this in a lot of people who are big into training to failure all the time. You know, they'd be like, oh, my shoulder, my shoulder's at me, uh, but they won't do a session where they don't go to failure and they just kind of keep going for that. And it's always those last couple of reps for them that tends to bother them. So, so again, that's another way that you can manage fatigue. And again, all of those things would be reasonable recommendations for someone who is experiencing a high level of training fatigue anyway, which is why I try not to be like, it's all about pain. It's like, because we're actually just managing overall training fatigue and pain can be, can be filtered into that context and can be thought of as one of the things we're concerned with when we're programming for individuals. Um, and that it doesn't always need to be like, a, like this is injury or this is not injury because pain is a normal part of the human experience. We're all going to have it in our training. And if we feel the need to go to a medical professional every time we have any little bit of a niggle on our shoulder, like I think you'll be spending a lot of money and probably getting advice that, that mightn't always be necessary and mightn't always help you. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, like I think for the vast majority of people, looking at it from the perspective of, I just need to manage my overall, I, I'm, even training fatigue, you just need to manage your overall training to allow you to continue training, right? Yeah. And like we're, we're obviously going to touch on a few other things in a second uh, with regard to if you are actually injured, like what, what do we do in the gym? But I think looking at it from the perspective of, first of all, not hitting your head off a wall to try to go through it continuously. Like if you know there's exercises that consistently cause you to be in pain, right? Then unless you are, you know, like actually tested in those exercises, you can move away from those exercises. Now, obviously, again, this is that continuum we were talking about where you don't want to be like, oh, Jesus, no, I'm scared of that exercise now. Like that's, that's not what I want to get into your head. But also you have to look at what you're actually trying to train. For example, so say you do squats. You're like me, right? And you're six foot six-ish and you have the longest femurs on earth and you do a back squat and the majority of the load is in your your low back, you know, right? Because your femurs are so long, that's where the majority of the load is going to go. Even if you're doing this high bar squat, you're doing whatever, right? Now, you can keep hammering away at that. And obviously, some results will come. But if you notice you do that, and every single time you end up with low back pain, right? And again, like pain is not an actual issue. And obviously, to an extent, it is purely because, you know, you've put a lot of load through that area. It, it's going to be taxed. It's going to need to recover. So you're going to feel some sort of discomfort like you would with any muscle that you're training, right? Um, so you could then go, okay, I can modify my technique in the squat. Say you're doing a, a low bar squat, first of all, and you're like, okay, it's really all through my my posterior chain, my posterior chain really affecting my low back. I feel discomfort in work. I feel like, you know, something needs to click there or something, right? And you can go, okay, I'm going to modify my technique. You can maybe move to a high bar squat. Perhaps it's still, you know, overloading that particular structure or those particular structures. Um, you can modify your technique, maybe a closer stance, maybe a wider stance, maybe something different in your technique can be changed to allow you to continue progressing that exercise, to continue training that kind of movement pattern, or you could swap the exercise out. Because again, if you look at it, like we try to 
tell people all the time, if you look at it from the perspective of like, what is that exercise actually trying to train? You know, like if you're trying to squat because you want bigger legs, then there's a multitude of ways you can go about doing that. Especially if you're like, I'm trying to squat to get bigger quads, you know, perhaps you have access to, you know, a, a safety bar squat, like a safety squat bar. And, um, or perhaps you have access to a leg press, perhaps you have access to a hack squat. You know, you have all these other options that can take the loading off your low back like structures, um, well not completely, but to an extent, and allow you to continue training towards your actual goal. Now that's not to say that, you know, just squats don't work for you, you should never do them, you know, you should be scared of them, you should never get under a bar. But if your goal is to achieve a certain outcome and you're basically just using these inputs to achieve that outcome, then the inputs themselves, like the actual specifics of it, doesn't matter if there are other inputs available, you know? Like again, like this, this is like the, the, the calories in, calories out argument. It's like you could do more cardio or you could reduce your calories. Like it's still the, the outcome, the deficit is still created. Now obviously there's differences between those two things um, but you're just basically manipulating the, the inputs to get an output, right? So if you are in the gym, you're like, look, my low back just feels beat the fuck up every single time I do squats, you know? I'm in pain. Like, again, like it's not, not necessarily injury, but you, you just feel a lot of pain from doing them, you know? And maybe it does re result in injury where you're kind of like, oh, man, my low back is you know, almost disabled here where I just, I just need to lie down for a day. And you're kind of like calling in sick to work and stuff because, you know, you had a heavy uh, low back session or sorry, leg session the, the night before, you know? And um, if that's the case and you are effectively injured as a result, going forward, you know, you can manage your overall fatigue. You could go lighter with your squats. You could maybe focus more on the tempo. You could maybe just change the way you perform them or you could change the exercise. But I think this is one of the things that people go into the gym and reoccurringly injure themselves. Like they'll do an exercise that, you know, they're just not built for or not ideally built for. I hate saying people are not built for an exercise because, you know, the human body is built the way it is. Like you can do whatever the fuck you want to do with it, you know. Um, but, you know, it's not a, an ideal exercise for you to progressively overload over time you know so perhaps for you if you're like look i just want bigger legs then getting on like a hack squat or something is going to be a far better option because you know your your low back isn't the compromising factor to your leg growth you know so if you are that individual that does notice that i just consistently keep getting injured over and over and over again and it's because like obviously you have to be able to identify this you know and again this is the same i'm not saying just squats you know if you're doing bench press and you're like Every single time I do bench press, you know, my shoulder just feels like it's being torn off the bone. It's like, okay, well, like maybe the bench press isn't for you, or maybe there's a way we can modify your bench press technique. So that's not the case, you know? So I think looking at it with that perspective that Gary was saying, where it's like, you're looking to manage fatigue and looking at pain as a manifestation of that overall training fatigue, it's a, it's a much more beneficial plan of action or conceptualization if you can actually do that and then also understand the, the why behind why you are doing those exercises because then you can go okay actually i just need to modify either my training technique or 
volume intensity or the actual exercise I perform, you know? Does that make sense, Gary? Yes, sir. And that essentially is the, the next pillar that, that, that doesn't exactly fit in with the ones that I discussed, but it is just change, changing the exercise that you are doing or your technique within that exercise, you know? So it could be bench press. You might find that when you do a close grip bench press, your shoulder starts to hurt more than it otherwise does. So you decide to do only moderate to wide grip bench presses for six weeks. You know, it's like very simple change. Or it could be, again, like that your shoulder is hurting a lot when you do a bench press, but when you do a dumbbell bench press or chest press, it's totally fine. Then there you go. Again, totally valid change of exercise. And you can go further and say that, you know, my, my squat, you know, I love squatting. It's like, you got to squat, bro. You know, you got to squat. Your, all your squat variations are hurting your knee at the moment, but when you do a leg press, you know, you've got this leg press in your gym, it drops off a little bit at the bottom, it feels a bit easier. That's the exercise that suits you best right now. You can do the leg press. Again, if you marry yourself to these exercises and you constantly force yourself to do them, especially if you're doing without, them without variation and consistently close to failure, then you might be opening yourself up to the best options when you do experience pain. So you do have to be a little bit more agnostic about the exercise that you're choosing and recognize that particularly if you're not a sporting athlete, like a powerlifter, like it, within powerlifting, you have specific exercises you need to do. For the rest of us, it doesn't really matter. You know, you can select any exercise you want. And if you're trying to just train your quads and at the moment, all squat and leg press variations are limiting because they, let's say, because you've had some sort of hip pain and that's the limiting factor, then a leg extension is probably the best exercise for you right now, you know? And, and that's a context where I would say the leg extension is the best quad exercise for you, okay? At this point in time, it's the best option. And I think if you're married to particular exercises or the way a workout should look, um, you end up really limiting yourself or your clients if you're programming for others. So you do need to kind of step up, take a step back and ask yourself, you know, what options do I actually have here? Because technique is another one. With, there's just so many options. You know, if you are a sumo deadlifter, let's say, and you deadlift sumo twice per week all the time, and you're you know going close to failure, and during higher intensity blocks, you find that your your hips are the limiting factor that you start to get hip pain or adductor pain, then you could say to yourself, okay, do I really need to have two sumo set sumo sessions? Maybe I could change it by having my more challenging session for six weeks is going to be conventional deadlift. And then my sumo deadlift is going to be trying to maintain my technique at a lower relative effort, reducing the load further from failure. And then I'll try and reintroduce sumo for higher intensities in the next training block. And that is essentially why this conversation is important is because this is where quote unquote injury rehabilitation or physiotherapy meets training. Like this is why you have to understand programming to be able to make effective decisions here. Because if you go to your, your physio, let's say, and they say, oh yeah, I want you to do these exercises for your knee. And you're kind of like, but like, what about my program? Like you have to figure out how that actually fits in with your program. So if you can take these principles of adjusting all the training parameters I talked about, considering the exercise selection and the exercise execution, and you bring those things in and play around with some variables, you'd be surprised with how, how much you can actually do yourself in terms of just like managing your own pain. And as we said, that's obviously not always going to be the case. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with, with everything you said. You shouldn't feel like you're married to any one exercise. The difference between like a, a low bar squat and a, a front squat is a good example. You know, if you find that a low bar squat trying to go ass to grass, you know, you're, 
you've been doing it for six weeks and now your back and your hip are, are the real limiting factors, you've got quite a bit of pain there, then doing a front squat is going to be a very different way, or at least significantly different way, of loading the same muscle groups, the same joints, and the change in load and the change in the way that those forces are distributed, the angle your body is at, etc., could be enough for you to continue training on productively. Um, so yeah, you've got you've got a lot of options. Don't tie yourself down um, because it can be very very self limiting, and that also goes for overall programming. I've seen this with a lot of people where they're like, "I'm doing small off or "I'm doing German volume training." <laughs> it's like they think that there needs to be a particular program for them to be successful as opposed to taking a step back and looking at actual training principles. And some training programs, like they're just too much for people at, at, given, at certain points in time. You know, when I, was, when I was younger, like a few years ago, I got, a, I got a program off someone and I remember receiving it initially and being like, God, this seems like ridiculous, like the amount of volume. But I was like, hey, I'm going to give it a shot. And like after the second week, like I had an adductor strain because I was absolutely hammered and that person didn't know that, you know, when I do higher levels of, of lower body training, my adductors tend to be the limiting factor. So, so for me, that's something I need to consider then going forward. And that's still something I consider to this day. If I was to, if I was to just go and do like a, the small of squat program, like I know that my, my adductors would, would curse me for it. They'd, they'd kill me for it. They wouldn't let me do that. Like, especially not, really close to failure. Same if I did like German volume training, I'd have to be really careful about working up to that. And that's where actual bigger picture programming comes into it. You know, if you are going from doing 10 sets of quads per week to doing 20 sets of quads per week, let's say, or squats or whatever, then that's a pretty poor training decision because you've totally, you've doubled the workflow that you're doing without incrementally building up to that. And it doesn't always need to be like adding, you know, one, you know, you're going from 10 sets to like adding half a set per week, or you're just barely nudging things up. Like sometimes you can make significant jumps, especially if you know that the training program you're on is just way too easy for you. So you don't need to be too fearful of that. But if you're like doubling the amount of training that you're doing, going from three days to six days, or you're going from being on holidays and doing nothing to going back into six days training to failure, like they're overall poor programming decisions. So before you start any training program, ask yourself, do I have the prerequisites that might be required for me to do this program? Like if you're doing German volume training, let's say, and you're doing 20 sets per week, let's say you're doing a two, two time per week frequency, whatever. Let's just say it's 20 sets per week. What have you actually done in the past? Have you been doing close to that up until this point? Or have you been doing a much different program so that this is going to be a big spike in your training load? Because if you are spiking your training load, that's probably not always the best call. We better off to gradually introduce. And that then also carries over into the sporting activities or other activities that people will partake in. And I see this quite a bit where someone will, like sometimes with clients, because maybe we're more focused on resistance training, like for, for some individuals, they might say to me, you know, after three weeks, hey Gary, like I've been doing like a, a 10K run for the last, you know, three Sundays. And this week I tried to do 20 K and now my knees really sore. And I'm like, well, yeah, like we hadn't factored that into your overall programming. So that's something we had, we should have had, we should have been thinking about and we could have had to make some modifications. So if you are going from, let's say the, like now is a good time because some of you are going back to 
to college. Some listeners are going back to college and you might be taking back up your, your college sport that you hadn't been playing. And you might have been away from the summer and not training. And if you're going back and you're doing your weight training sessions and you're also going to join the track and field team or the athletics club and do 20 kilometers of running a week, it's like, all right, you, you might want to be careful before you, you jump right in. Like that's probably not the best call. And you see this crop up all the time as well with um, different activities that people partake in. Like at, at Christmas, for example, there was one case where someone had gone ice skating and their ankles and their knees and their hips were, you know, just really, really sore and muscles. They felt like they'd never felt places they, they didn't know they had before because, again, it's a totally novel stimulus. So when you expose yourself to things like that, you then have to ask yourself, how might I need to adjust my programming the next day? if I'm going to be able to train. And that could just be the case of, right, I'm going to accept that my, my squats mightn't be at their best tomorrow. And that if I do go in and try to go to failure again and just beat every, every set from last week, I'm doing so um, in di- a different situation than I was in last week. So that's a particularly important thing for those multi-sport athletes. If you're a GA player who's also doing strength training, think of how that fits into your program. If you're a, someone who does like combat sports and you're also doing resistance training, Think of how this fits in for you. And that's particularly important for those sports because like whether it's GA or it's combat sports, there's always an element of chaos there. There's unpredictability. And if you're someone who, you know, back to the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu example, you had a really tough session last night with way more rolling than you normally do. And like you were, you were also practicing like loads of, loads of like shoulder-based submissions, like different submissions in that position. And it was all one arm because your partner was just practicing one side, then recognize that that shoulder mightn't feel so good in your resistance training the next day. Factor, if you, if you plan in advance, you recognize what can affect your training, you can be really smart with the training decisions that you make. You're dead right, Gary. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, like I think people do this all the time, especially you see people make this delineation just arbitrarily in their head in terms of exercise modalities. Like they won't factor into their program that they do a sport. And you see this in like GA all the time where you'll have people that are like, oh yeah, I have like two or three training sessions per week and a game on Saturday, Sunday. And they're like, yeah, but I'm doing six days resistance training as well because the bodybuilder guy that I follow does this. And it's like, like that, that six day training program for this bodybuilder you follow is because he has the recovery capacity for this because he's not doing these, these uh, training sessions outside of that, you know? So you have to factor that in to how you design your program. You're going to have a totally different experience and probably a totally different outcome from doing that program because you've got these other factors in. Now, again, that could be simply a case of like, okay, well, it says do five sets. I'm just going to do three sets. You know, it could just be a case of managing volume, but it could also be a case of, you know, you're just overloading certain structures and there's no way that this program is going to be effective long-term for you. Like it, it's, it's almost guaranteed that it's going to lead to injury. And I say that like, obviously that's not a, something that you can say, but you know what I mean? It's like you're, you're exposing yourself to stimuli, stimuli that, you know, there's a very high likelihood that something's going to go wrong down the road. You know, like, Nobody has the recovery capacity for this, you know? And you see this all the time, especially like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. People try to go from being a a gym bro to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and they really struggle to integrate the two, even though like obviously they are complementary to an extent um, where they're like, oh, well, I normally do this in the gym 
and now I've added in four Brazilian Jiu Jitsu training sessions. And it's like, okay, like this, like you said, like that, your 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 training sessions are now going to be more variable, like in the gym, and you have to be able to accept that, you know, like you have to be able to understand that that is a thing first of all, but also then go, okay how do I, how do I manage my overall expectations going into the, into the gym? Cause it's not just, you know, managing your recovery. It's also managing your, your expectations. You know, if you're going into the gym and you're like, uh, last time I got 200 kilos for five and um, I'm going to have to get 202.5 or 205 for five this session, you know, you, you have to beat it, you know? And it's like, that would be fine. Perhaps. And uh, that would be fine if, that was all you were doing. You know, it's like your recovery capacity was set up. So that was a, a, a probability that you would be able to go in there and go, yeah, the next session I go in, I'm going to get a heavier weight, you know? Whereas if you're like, oh yeah, I was actually doing jits last night and let's say it's a deadlift and you're like, yeah, my hips are in bits. My low back is in bits because I was put into all these random positions. And, you know, the going into the gym and going, yeah, I'm going to hit a heavier weight you know, it's probably not as likely now to occur or what generally you see people do. And I think this is something that people should get into their head is you need to look at the time scale, like the time horizon of these events, because what people will do is they'll start a program or they'll start a training plan overall. And even though they'll factor in, Oh, I'm doing jits or oh, I'm doing ga or whatever they They'll, they'll, that'll work for three, four, five weeks, you know? But as fatigue accumulates and as that overall training volume accumulates or increases, they'll start noticing the wheels fall off the wagon. And people are really, really bad at dialing things back, you know? And what I mean by that is, you know, in the first few sessions, you're like, all right, cool, I'm going to do four resistance training sessions and then four, whatever, gas sessions, whatever sport it is, right? And that'll work. And they'll be like, yeah, cool. That first week, you know, it was taking a little while to get into it, but you know, I used slightly lighter weights. I wasn't going full clip when my runs or whatever. And then the next week they're like, yeah, increase the intensity a little bit next week. Yeah. The intensity is really building up. My strength is going up, whatever. Fourth week they're like, Oh yeah, actually I'm starting to notice my shoulders are a bit, you know, a bit tight or my hips a bit, my low back or whatever. And they'll just keep trying to hammer away at that same, training structure or that same training plan and not actually do what we're saying, which is, you know, manage your overall fatigue. And again, this is when you start noticing like, okay, by week four, you know, shoulder was feeling a bit at me, but you know, who cares? Just fucking hammer on through it. Week five, it's like, yeah, actually it's really, you know, overhead, you know, it's not great. You know, then week six, they're like, I think I've injured my shoulder. You know, it's like you, your body was giving you these, warning signs warning signs and you just refuse to listen to it now again that's not to say that these warning signs are easy to interpret or that they are actually indicative of an issue you know your shoulder might be tight but that's because you slept on it weird last night you know like what you think it is isn't necessarily what it actually is you know so you have to really dig deep into what's going on but also you have to be willing to manage your overall training volume you know like again like this this could be as simple as okay normally i do six sets of squats per week you know i do three of them on monday and three of them on thursday you know 
average enough program, you're hitting lower body twice per week, right? But, you know, you notice by Thursday session, you're like, you wake up and you're like, man, I just feel like I'm in fucking bits. But, you know, there's no, there's no necessarily injury. You just feel like, you know, structures have been overloaded and you're like, oh, like, if I was to hammer those three, three sets, you know, really push for progress, you know, I don't think my recovery for the next session or for my other training sessions, whatever else I've got going on, is going to be on point. And you could, again, like we were saying earlier on, there's so many ways you can go around this. You know, you could literally just do, okay, normally I do three sets, but I'm just going to do one today. I'm going to keep the intensity level the same, like the weight that I was going to go for. Cool. Done with that. You know, in the next session then, you know, I'll either do two sets or three sets. Again, we'll see how my recovery is as I progress on to that, you know? And then you could also change the exercise. You could also then lower the intensity of the exercise. You're like, normally I do 140 for this and I'm actually just going to do 100. I'm going to get the movement. I'm going to you know, make it look crisp, nice and clean, but I'm not going to really push myself. I'm not going to, you know, really push the envelope with that. You know, so there's, there's multiple ways of going through the, going about this. And effectively what you just need to do is actually manage your training volume to manage your training fatigue, you know? And this again is all encompassing because again, I'm saying training fatigue, but this could also be, and like we touched on it before, like you could have like shit sleep that night and all of a sudden your sensation of pain is completely different. You know, like your sensation of, we'll say fatigue is completely different, you know? So you have to manage your training. You have to manage your, your life, your overall lifestyle. You have to manage all of these things to actually influence how you manage, we'll say, injury overall, you know? Because again, like, if you're going into a session, you're like, oh, my low back was feeling a bit off after that last session, and you've, you're now coming off two, three nights of bad sleep, you know? It's like, there, this is a completely different environment, but also a completely different sensation now, you know? So you have to factor that in as well. Yes, sir. And, and then, like, I think the only... We've, we've touched on the, um, we touched on like the kind of micromanagement stuff you're talking about, like your actual training variables that can be things like change your exercises or your technique, as we said, or else the things like, uh, the repetition ranges, the load you're using, the tempo, and um, the range of motion, etc. So you've got all those variables. If they're like, you're like, this is my toolkit. I'm gym with me. If I'm experiencing pain or whatever today, like I, I've got these variables to play with. You know, if I've got pain for a couple of days, I'm still going to train. That's your goal. You still want to train. Um, but you've, you've got those tools that you can kind of change around. Then we've talked about the kind of macro management, which is the bigger picture stuff where you're actually willing to change your overall programming. You're thinking about the steps that you're going to take from one program to another. You know, you're not going to make massive jumps. You're also considering how other sports and activities that you partake in are filtering into that process. You're also considering how lifestyle variables filter into that process. Like, you know, as Paddy said, if you've slept really poorly, again, you have to consider that that, that generally puts one at a higher risk of injury. It might change how you experience pain. Um, it might change your, the resulting training fatigue on a given day. All that stuff has to be, has to be factored in, into it. And then you've got other things that are like, you know, that they're, they're different things to think about. So these are like the supplementary things in the MISC box. Like, for example, if you've got a sore wrist that's always aggravated when you bench press, things like wrist wraps can be a great option. You know, it might be just enough to offload the wrist while allowing you to keep training. You've also got options like if you've got 
golfer's elbow or tennis, tennis elbow. So you've got like medial or lateral um, le- le- epicondylalgia, if I can speak. Um, basically, the inside of the outside of your elbow is sore, very simply. Um, you can use things like straps. So straps to help out your grip so that you're not using as much um, or you're not accumulating as much total grip muscle fatigue throughout the session. Um, then again, that can be an option. And these, these things aren't absolutes. You could use them for two sets, but not your other two sets. You know, similarly, you might find that when you squat with knee sleeves, your knees feel much better for a certain amount of volume, but you don't want to use them all the time. So maybe it's just your final two weeks of your program. Use a, a light knee sleeve just as a, a means of comfort. Or even if there are just placebo effects, it's like, okay, you can kind of yield them if you want. Um, they're, they're those sorts of other things that come into the picture. And then you could also consider, although I'd consider it more of an exercise technique variable, things like uh, elevating your heels, like squat shoes. Like you might find that when you squat with a squat shoe, because you might be a bit more upright, you find that a little bit of the, the stress or the load is taken off your back. So there's all those training modalities um, that also come with. It's probably more. I just can't think of any at the moment. I guess you could say a belt, but um, you know, that's that's like whether whether or not you you want to use one is is up to you. Some people find that it helps them in terms of having, you know, a, an additional bit of strength in the tank. Um, some people find that they're a bit more confident with their with their back, um, which might be fine. Uh, but at the same time, I like to to build up that self efficacy and confidence. So if someone's like, oh, I'm scared to go to the gym to squat without my knee sleeves and belt because I'm afraid to hurt my knees or my back, then I try and address that as well. So again, there's no like, this is the way and this is the difference between general and specific advice when it comes to physiotherapy or personal training or anything. Like these are supposed to be generalizations that you can think about for yourself and put them into practice as needed. But there could be two different people listening to this podcast that I would give totally different advice to, like we touched on at the start. Some of you might be listening to this as like, freaking out about your pain and you're only picking up the things that we're talking about that are related to avoidance and some of you are listening to this just hoping that we'll tell you to go and do your final set of five by five at rpe9 because you just want to squat so you have to be honest with yourself and recognize or at least try and identify where you are on that spectrum and then try and work towards the path that's best for you and generalized advice doesn't work for everyone. You know, I wouldn't expect it to. That's why you have a healthcare system that, that you're supposed to consult with, not just listening to podcasts. If you've had chronic low back pain for two years and you're trying to work through that, a lot of the time it's helpful, helpful to work with someone. You know, I've, I've, got, I've got one client who's had chronic low back pain for, for a, a year or more. Um, and we've been working together for about two years. And like there's been, there's been ups and downs in that process. There's been times where we've had to make training decisions. There's been times where we've had to have conversations about pain, challenge beliefs. And, and she's fantastic in terms of working through that stuff herself. But all I'm saying is that you might be able to do this on your own. And that's not to say to consult with us, not at all. I'm just saying that if you are no, no, that person. That is saying to us. Of course, um, but you know, just just that the podcast isn't the the sole solution, and that's also like a reminder for trainers. If you're a trainer listening to this, you want to come into this like and increase your skill set so that you can help your clients. But you don't want to feel like if you can't help someone that you're failing because you should like you're not you're not supposed to be like helping people who who have chronic low back pain and lots of psychological factors that you need to address and educate 
educate about as well. And like, it's great if you can, but you're not supposed to. So don't feel bad if, if, if you need to refer on. I think it's a, it's a good call and something that takes humility and it's a noble thing to do. Right. So to make this, so I think, have we covered everything that you want to cover? I think so. I'm trying to think, but I, th I think so. Like there's more specifics you can get into. Like, I mean, if someone, tendinopathy can be a little bit different because there's like, often you will have to work through a little bit of pain in the case of tendinopathy and rest is generally worse for those types of injuries than it would be for other types of injuries. Um, and sometimes you might find that it's aggravated by specific exercises and stuff, but I think we can talk about tendinopathy in another podcast because, um, yeah, we'll just do a separate episode on that. Perfect. It's a good topic. Right. So to kind of wrap this all up and actually ensure that the practicality is there rather than just being like, yeah. you talk shite for fucking however long this is. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to give two examples and I want you to just talk through how you would approach this from those examples, right? So first one is going to be an individual that's just training away themselves. And the second one is going to be a, a trainer, like a personal trainer in the gym or whatever, right? So the first one, you know, I'm coming into the gym. I'm just your recreational trainer. The majority of people listening to this, I'm, I'm, maybe I have some specific goals, maybe their body composition goals, maybe their, you know, strength goals, whatever, right? I'm going to give essentially two examples in this, but you'll be able to talk through them, right? So first one, I am that individual and I come to the gym and like you said earlier on, I'm doing my final set of deadlifts and I hear something. Oh fuck, did I just break my spine? Feel a little bit of a, an electricity type feeling, you know, down my leg or something uh, starting in my low back. And, you know, I kind of get a little bit scared after that set. Right. And like I, I was, I had two reps left to go, but I, I just, I just cut it short there and I sat down and, you know, my low back was kind of in a little bit of pain and, and, you know, I felt that kind of in my leg and I'm kind of scared to do anything now. Right. So that's the first example. Someone who has got this kind of initial pain in the low back, they felt it kind of, there's clearly some sort of neurological component because they felt that kind of, you know, electricity feeling down the leg and the sciatic nerve. What does that individual do from there? So it's literally, they've just injured themselves. And I'm putting that in air quotes. They just injured themselves. How does that individual go about deciding whether this is a life-threatening paralysis injury or whether it's just like okay i need to manage fatigue load etc whatever from here like so what's that what does that individual do yeah so like if you if you have an experience like that the things you generally want to look out for to rule out it being something serious is like if you've got a loss of power in your leg like for example you can't lift up the front of your foot or you feel like oh God, I've just got this real sense of weakness in one leg. Like it's like, I feel like there's something wrong there. Or you've got a genuine loss of sensation. Like you can't feel, you can't feel your leg. <laughs> or um, you've got like consistent, like it's continued that you've got some sort of um, tingling and numbness down the leg. Those, those sorts of sensations that are happening or anything related to bowel and bladder. Like if you've got bowel or bladder dysfunction or you've got like, um, a change in sensation around the area of your genitalia and um, your saddle area anything like that I'm like yeah just 
like go go to the doctor and get yourself sorted um if it's uh, like especially if you've got like a loss of power or you've got like a loss of sensation in the area of your saddle um i would just go to any like that's what i would do um generally not not a very good sign um but but like like that's not most cases um like most of the time someone might feel something it's like oh you could get a bit of a shooting pain but it it goes away it's fine you're okay like your back is a little bit sore on one side um yeah you know you could have had a a disc herniation um it could be something like that it could be a little bit of a a muscle strain or something like that you can't always identify exactly what it is um, and that can be one of the problems when someone gets a scan, you might find something in this, like we don't know if that was actually there before. Um, so yeah, if, if, if you don't have those persistent symptoms I was kind of talking about, and you've just got a little bit of back pain, then you can, you know, move around a little bit, see how it feels, you know, flex forward a little bit, you know, see if you can perform the deadlift movement or whatever without weight. And like, if you want, you know, give it a few minutes and see if you can do a, another step with a very light weight. If the pain is disabling and you feel like, like, oh, I need to finish my session, then finish your session, but try and gradually expose yourself then over the coming days. Okay. So there's no like, there's no clear like what what you should or shouldn't do here and like some things can be quite serious and i don't want to play that down in that like as i said if you've got things like loss of power loss of sensation saddle anesthesia changes in bladder and bowel function etc like they can be things that you need to get seen immediately um however if that's not the case and you've just got a little bit of back pain and you can still move around and you're fine um then it can be worthwhile at least trying to expose yourself uh, but you don't need to feel you don't need to feel like you need to finish your session either that's the other side of it it's like you know the, i wouldn't be worried as much about the session itself i'd be more worried about you getting back to activity over the subsequent days and that could be as much as you like planning to just do two more training sessions throughout the week that are much lighter really low intensity but you're just getting the movement going again um, and that's totally fine totally reasonable and as i said it's generalization and it could be a case by case basis. If your pain is, you know, very disabling, you might have to start out with a really light movements, like just flexing forward and back at the spine, moving with the, just the empty bar and trying to get that movement back. Um, it, it really does depend on the person in that case. Right. So hopefully that helps some people. The next one is, I'm actually going to give you three examples rather than two. The next one then is someone has, injured themselves outside the gym maybe they slipped and i don't know now their wrist is sore you know or maybe their adductor is sore something is sore right so they still want to like they have a, a fat loss goal or something so they still want to train and move forward with that so does this do they just not go to the gym just forsake it or do they work around it? like what's what's the, the protocol with that person so in injured in whatever capacity pick an injury whatever fuck you want they slipped they fell they fucking i don't know did something what do we do with that yeah so it, like we're assuming here that there was something like very acute it's like ah yeah damn it hurt my wrist damn it not gonna be able to bench tomorrow i would go ahead and i would train i would adjust my programming in favor of maybe doing movements that don't aggravate that area immediately see how my symptoms change over the course of the next couple of days or maybe a week and then try to re-expose yourself to the painful movements uh, with lighter loads. Um, like for example, if it was your wrist, then what you might do is you might in, 
if, if you find it's really sore when it's like bending in either direction, you might be okay doing gripping exercises. So doing more rows and stuff might be absolutely fine. You might be okay doing uh, lateral raises, but when you do your lateral raises, if you have to hold the dumbbells, it hurts. But if you put cuffs around your wrists and do cable lateral raises, totally fine. So they're the types of things where you think think about what you can do, um, reduce what you what you can't do for the moment, and then re-expose yourself over the course of of a number of weeks after that. Um, again, it is going to depend on the on the on the exercise on the injury itself. Like if you if you have a torn hamstring, for example, and you know there was bruising, you have a loss of range of motion, etc. Then what you might want to do in that case is actually you know see a physiotherapist so that you can actually rehab the area itself. Because if it's like uh, just a bit of wrist pain, you might need to do a whole lot of rehab to like regain function as normal. But if it was something like a hamstring tear or an adductor tear, you might want a, a defined path that you go on to actually strengthen up that area and get it back to baseline again and and that's the difference between i guess what we're talking about in this podcast and what you would need in some cases where you, you there's a genuine need to rebuild strength in a particular area um because that that can be important too um so yeah there's there's nuances there yeah and i think that also holds for say you break your forearm one of the muscles yes. your forearm like essentially yes you can still keep training like i have one of my clients at the moment he's just like literally just this week come back now he broke his finger you know so he couldn't do like anything with his hand like because it's like his finger like he couldn't hold anything you know so like we were just modifying training it was like okay we, he has access to you know cuffs so we we're doing like cable work and different things so he could still get a training stimulus we also then changed the structure of his program like he was only doing one lower body training session and i think three upper body training sessions because his legs are quite big and um, and he was like all right or we were like yeah we can't really train as effectively the upper body at the moment so let's shift our training focus towards the lower body even though it is quite developed let's do a little bit more on that you know and he was enjoying that little switch up while his finger was out of action mm-hmm. and now we're kind of moving back into a phase where we're starting to reintegrate the use of that hand because he's literally got his stitches out got his fucking okay from the doctor etc so that's where it's going with that so i think what gary just said there is good advice also if you have an actual we'll say trauma that incapacitates a certain limb or part of a limb you know like if you're like all right i've injured my left shoulder like you can still do stuff with your right hand side you know like there is some sort of crossover training effect like you've seen that in the research where it's like training your right side still does to some extent develop the left side so there is that and um, but yeah now the final one with the this general person is what was i going to say oh yes so they're they've been training away they have been making great progress but they've now got we'll call it a chronic injury like their low back is always just sore or their shoulder is always just sore. There was no like acute trauma. There was no acute issue. It just seems to have developed over the last six to eight weeks that they're like, my shoulder is always just at me. It feels like it's not in the right place or it feels like there's tightness or it feels like, you know, it's just sore. There's like, there's no definitive, like this is the issue. It's just, it's sore. Yeah, that's essentially where you have to look retrospectively and do some sort of review of what you've exposed yourself to up to that point in time. So you have to look back over your program, ask yourself, you know, what, what did I do in this time that like before 
and during the onset of pain and the gradual increase in that pain. And then you can start to see, okay, these were the exposures I was exposed to. So these were the things that potentially were part of the development of this, of this pain. Um, and then you ask yourself what non-training factors were involved in that as well. And sometimes that, like, that can be really important. Like people would say, I've actually been getting worse. It's like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. And that's something that we have to consider as part of the overall picture. Um, so then what I would do is I would modify what I think might be the most important variables in your retrospective analysis. So if you've done your retrospective analysis and you've seen that I was actually doing lots of heavy work for bench press in the one to three repetition range. I was working up to RP9, RP10 quite often. And I was doing a, an increasing set volume strategy where I was adding a set per week. Then I would say, okay, that, that probably wasn't the best at that point in time. So what I might want to do at this point is use some of the strategies we've discussed in this podcast where you're doing maybe lower loads. You might change the range of motion. You might change the tempo. You might change the overall sets that you're doing. See what you can actually tolerate. See what's a tolerable amount of training volume or training load. Um, and if you need to change any exercises, feel free to do that. And give yourself an initial four to six week period to really just back off that a little bit as needed build it back up, but focus on only other areas of the body so you can continue getting your training done. Um, and then you can re-expose yourself um, as able. So that's a fairly consistent theme with a lot of this stuff. Um, it is trying to identify what you can that might have been part of the cause and then exposing yourself to what you can and then trying to rebuild back to baseline. And again, and again as I said, that's not always the case. And, and I do want to keep coming back to those points like as a podcaster, like this is a podcast. So we want to be somewhat conservative. And like, I'm, I'm just reminded of that case where like there was like one, one, one lady, one, one of my educators actually I was talking to and she was deadlifting in the gym and did actually have, she had a back injury that, that was, you know, one of those more kind of severe ones on that spectrum where she actually had, foot drop and couldn't couldn't lift up her foot so she had that loss of power so i'm just that's why i'm being conservative that there are, are those i'm not sure these triage boys give me what i need like consult with a healthcare professional it might not always be in your best interest but it's better than you just relying on the podcast <laughs> you're dead right now the final thing then is if you were a personal trainer training someone in either of those three cases what do you do if i was the personal trainer yeah like you you were a personal trainer and you were actually training that individual and they either had that acute injury had you know uh that acute injury outside of the gym you know yeah or they came to you with some sort of chronic what's chronic injury you know let's say it's fatigue injury <laughs> Yeah. So like in, in, the, in the first case with the person with back pain who thought they might have felt something down their leg, I'd ask them about their symptoms. I'd say, you know, is it, is it, is it getting any better? You know, how's it feeling at the moment? And like, what did you feel? And, and I'd try to, like, I'm, I'm talking with me personally, like, which is probably a bit different to what I tell others to do, I guess. But I'd want to know, you know, right, the, what were they feeling now? What they thought they felt, you know, during the rep? And how do you feel about doing, doing another set? They're probably going to be like, no. Um, and then I'd ask them, you know, what do you, why do you, do you feel like there's, there's anything wrong? Like the symptoms I asked about essentially, um, 
can you stand up? Can you, you, oh, you can lift your legs up and down. Cool. Um, do you have any numbness in your legs or anything like that? And they're like, oh no, it's all good. Um, it's just my back is just feels really sore there on one side. Um, I probably want to see if they could even just replicate the movement of a deadlift just to get them doing something so that I could say to them, oh, it's cool. You know, you can actually, you can still move about you. Your, your movement seems to be quite good, but this pain might, you know, it might be there for, for a day or two, but what we might do is when I see you in Friday session, we can start to try and reintroduce things. But you know what? If your back is still sore and you don't want to squat or do deadlifts on, on Friday, that's totally fine because we can actually do these other exercises and still train the same muscles. Is, is that okay with you? Um, that's kind of the approach I'd be taking. Um, but again, like for trainers as well, like if you are, if you are concerned or, or like really uncomfortable with dealing with the situation, there's no harm in just referring onwards either. Cool. Second case who has the more acute injury um, outside the gym, like they hurt their wrist or they hurt their shoulder, I would first ask myself, right, how can I modify my plan for today to suit this person? And that could be wrist straps for the person who hurt their wrist. It could be swapping from bench press to the chest to bench press to a block two or three inches off the chest to modifying the range of motion. And that's where your, your exercise skills really come into things like how well do you understand exercise mechanics? Do you understand the forces that are distributed at particular joints when someone is doing an exercise? And if you know that, then you know how to modify it, you know, and that's a, that can be a powerful tool. You know, you might find that uh, when you're doing a row that someone's uh, medial epicondylalgia, the little, they, their pain that they're having in the inside of their el elbow, that's aggravated by all the grip work. So you decide that you want to do, are you straps? Um, to, to offload that, those muscles a little bit. And that's why anatomy and exercise mechanics is so important for trainers because you can actually pretty powerfully change the forces that someone is dealing with. Same if someone has knee pain and you plan to do high bar heel elevated squats today, then you might swap that out in favor of something like a, a good morning or a long stride lunge or something else that you think someone could train with without. <laughs> Laura, it's just emulated the exercises that I'm saying. <laughs> so you change the exercises so that you change the way the forces are distributed and that might be something that helps someone. So I, I would use those tools that we discussed in this podcast uh, and I wouldn't be totally worried about it because sometimes people do freak out. They're like, oh, I really hurt my wrist. I fell yesterday and it's like, oh God, you got to go to the A&E. Like generally like if there's a fracture, yeah. If someone has a loss of power, yeah. If someone has like severe like neurological compromise loss of sensation all the things i talked about yeah i definitely refer them on and i try to do it quickly but if it's just pain and you're like oh this might heal up in a few days then i'd be cool with just you know trying to modify our sessions and then the final one is the person who's had pain for a longer period of time i'd recognize that it's more likely especially if it's like 12 months or so or it's be more than six months three months i'd be more i'd be more cognizant that there's going to be other psychological factors and non-gym factors that are coming into this situation and what and that's relevant for all these cases but someone may have adapted their lifestyle around this pain and you don't want to make that worse so for example if someone has chronic low back pain they might be telling you that oh, i've been really working on trying to maintain this upright posture and i bought this thing for my desk to make sure i'm at the perfect angle and all this then i'd be trying to bring in some pain education and i would go back to we did a podcast on posture. Listen to that. I think it's episode 40 something, um, but have a listen to that for, for, the, for some context there. Um, I'd be just reminding myself that there's other factors involved here. And if someone's been taking time off work and stuff like that, and they're very afraid of movement, 
then you might have to just just be just be mindful of, of what you're trying to do there and your your exercise mechanics knowledge won't take you through won't, won't take you all the way along that path because it could be the case that you have to just be like all right i appreciate that up to now you've been totally afraid to do any sort of bending over or picking up and one of your exercises could very simply be getting someone to reach down towards their toes so that they have the confidence to bend over and to perform that movement um, and that's where it does go a bit, a bit beyond just the the basic programming stuff and where you have to think about you know how does one's psychology and their behavior um, factor into this situation and that's not to say that's not relevant for the acute cases um, if there's if someone has just had you know back pain you don't want to be telling them oh god you know don't bend your back you know that's generally not great advice but at the same time it could be helpful if that's the way that modifies someone's symptoms in the short term so so as i said that there's no black and white you have some insight into the different tools at your disposal um, as an individual trainee and as a trainer um, and, and just reminding you that there, there's no shame in referring on but you don't always need to feel like you do need to refer on for everything because i think um some people are probably on one side of the spectrum somewhere on the other some feel like they need to see a physio for everything for every little bit of discomfort every pain that crops up in the gym um, and then you obviously have the others who will never see a therapist for anything um, or a doctor for anything and, and neither of those are great situations you're dead right um well, i have nothing else to add to that gary so super stuff I'll wrap it up here so just to let the people know how, how are you getting on with college now that you're doing medicine medicine well i should be listening to some other podcasts recently and other other podcasters seem to do this thing where they chat they chat briefly at the start of the podcast about their lives and stuff so maybe we'll start doing that instead of at the end because people are sick of us at this point but anyway uh, it's going well uh, i my first week like the it's it's a very intense course and that's obviously like it's definitely very different to, to physiotherapy and you'd notice the difference for sure um so that's that's quite new to me i guess and that the the just the sheer amount of hours and the volume of content that's covered and like the fact that you go basically from zero to 100 like it's like yeah surely you understand organic chemistry yeah like the, let's get stuck in you know it's a, it's it can be a bit like that um, as, as, as you should expect for graduate entry medicine, like it's supposed to be condensed. Um, so yeah, that's fun. And I mean, like the good thing is that it's all like all the subjects are things that I would be interested in and really want to learn about, but would never probably sit down and learn about if I wasn't in the structure. So it's really beneficial in that case. And I, it's not, I don't view that as being a negative that I, that I'm like, will, will be a bit overwhelmed by some stuff because I'm like, I'm actually really happy learning this stuff. It's it's all savage, interesting stuff. Um, so in that sense, super happy. Um, will enjoy the content, but no doubt that it will be it'll be challenging too. So so yeah, it's a there's 90 people in my class, and 50 percent of them are Canadian. <laughs> That's mad. It's disgusting. <laughs> couple of couple of uh, champions from Kerry as well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> just a, just a couple of us um, um, there's actually a load of canadian listeners to this podcast so we'll have more now because obviously crazy I, hope everyone in my, I hope everyone in my class is obviously listening to this like, imagine being interested in health and not listening to our podcast oh you're dead right 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm back to college tomorrow. Well, it'll be today. When people are listening to this. Unless they listen to it, then it's in the past. And fuck it. Um, so yeah, I have nothing else going on in my life. So I'm going to go let you beat up Delta now because she's interrupting. Tell us a, what, what's, what's final year like for you? Is it intense? Tell us about your project, actually. <laughs> My project is in sex differences in inflammation and depression. Um, yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting because um, neuros- <laughs> neuroscience is fake. Um, <laughs> it is fake. Um, but anyway, that's irrelevant. We can talk more about it after I've actually done all the work for that. Um, but yeah, final year is fucking... I don't know, it's supposedly grand because we have like four week blocks of things and I basically, like for the first four weeks I only have three lectures a week. You know? Presumably. Unreal. I haven't done them yet. Presumably there's a lot of outside work that I have to do myself for them in terms of like go away and learn this stuff yourself. But yeah, I don't know. Then the next four weeks I have six or seven lectures like that's a little bit more intense just because of the way I, I chose my modules but then for the last four weeks i have nothing and what are your modules i couldn't tell you man they're fucking they're shy there's this no, is what people want to know there's no lot no, the secrets to like, there's no okay. real meaty biochem that's that's the issue <laughs> we have we have biochemistry and cell biology and the lecturer is actually pretty sound chap he seems like he's on the ball so it's good stuff and then we have, what else do we have? Pathology, anatomy, physiology. Anatomy actually is pretty savage because tomorrow you get to go and uh, do cadavers. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Like, you know, I know, unreal. Straight into it, really. I don't know, it's tasty. Like, um, well, I wouldn't say tasty. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah I wouldn't say that. <laughs> and then we have, like, what else do we have? Physiology. And then, well, pathology is broken down into microbiology and all that stuff as well. So it's good crack. And then you obviously have clinical skills and. Something else. What else do you have? Epidemiology, which is research, statistics, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, good crack. And how's your training going now that you're doing a million hours per week? Good. I got two resistance training sessions in this week. So far. Today's Sunday, so I'm going to do another session today. Went to jiu-jitsu three times. And the thing is, I'm actually cycled to college, which is quite like I end up accumulating 15 to 20 kilometers of cycling per day, which is about an hour of cycling so that's an hour five days a week of training as well like so it's decent it's just light aerobic training but it's 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 exercise and it all adds up so so yeah training going fine um, i just joined bjj cork um all very nice guys there um so yeah that's where i'll be training for the foreseeable future and training resistance training motivated fitness gym which has great machines. I haven't tried the Mardike in Cork yet, but I might give it a shot. We'll see. You, you love a bit of machines. Um, and how are you finding living in Cork? It's good. They've got savage food, like, which is unreal. Like, that's all you really want, really. Um, so, yeah, Cork is actually quite nice. They've got nice restaurants and bars and stuff. Um, it's full of, like, it, Cork is kind of a little bit of a hippie place. Um, it's, you know, it's, you, have, you have, like, quite a few, like, communist and socialist memes and, and stuff written around the place but the only good thing that comes with that is that like where one has hippies you also tend to have good like craft beers and food for young people that's just my observation so i i'll take the uh the fantastic capitalism that is feeding the communists because there you go <laughs> Fair enough. And how does it compare to the living in the mighty dublin 
oh no, I would never live there again. Jesus. You loved it here. No. No, I, I, I like Cork because it's, uh, it's a little less busy than Dublin. It's, I think it's easier to cycle around because um, they've got more. I'm not sure, but I think they might have more cycle paths. I don't know. But I find it fine. You just have to the be, job, like. You just have to be a mad bastard in Dublin and just fucking cycling into traffic. Who cares? I was going to say the rent is cheaper, but uh, I don't even, it's not even that different anymore, to be honest. Cork's pretty expensive. Okay. So, but yeah, Cork is, Cork is grand, bye. Yeah, you're just going to have to start talking like you're Cork, bye. Yeah. Say things like bye. And what else do they say? Langer. You're yeah. a Langer. Langer. And this is, this is the People's Republic. The real republic. Rebels. Yeah. Someone actually, do you know the way I showed you before there was a Karl Marx mural on one of the uh, parks? Someone actually came along with spray paint and spray painted it out. Some, someone's like not happy. So, poor Karl. Fair enough. <laughs> it was me. It was you. <laughs> I fucking drove three hours down to work just to do that. Um, anyway, I'm going to wrap this up here. Yeah. Do you have to say to the, the fine people who listen to our podcast? No, I think, that, I think that's it. Um, if you, you've got any questions, as always, or guests that you'd like to see on the podcast, you can let us know. And there's a submit your, your question section in the description box below. Um, also, you know, if you're not in our Facebook group, I highly recommend you join the Facebook group. There's a lot of people in there now. I think there's over 500. So, you know, people do ask good questions. Some people post training clips. Uh, sometimes um, I get notions and write up, write up little posts that I wouldn't put out, out otherwise. Paddy posts in, you know, research papers, as do I. And they're the types of things that, like, we're not just going to post on our public Instagram because it's just not great a medium for that. So prefer doing that in the Facebook group. So, so if you like our content, it's a good place to keep up with what we're doing. Yeah, and then we'll be back in college. A much more structured routine. So I plan on like actually like dialing in little like, oh yeah, I'm actually just going to do something specific at this time every single week and putting it into the group. Like I already have like two papers that I want to share right now because Saturday is usually the day that I read through all my research. That's when my pub crawler goes, here's an email of all the fucking things you have, which is about 20 at this stage. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'll be posting a few things in there. And like Gary said, if you're not in there, then you're just playing yourself. It's, it's the place to be if you're interested in all this health, fitness, whatever. Um, also, <clears throat> join the email list because, first of all, you get a 10% discount, some sort of discount. Yeah. I should know. I set it up. Um, yeah, it's 10%. <laughs> so you get a discount for all of our products, which, again, you can buy on the store on the website. Um, <clears throat> there is more coming. There should be three to four more products in the next three months or so. Um, <clears throat> we have some cool things planned as well with some other things. Um, but yeah, if you're interested, we still have group coaching available. We do actually still have some online coaching spaces available because generally people finish up, you know, at the end of the summer, they're like, oh, well, I'm going back to college or I have the knowledge and blah, blah, blah. And also... September is usually a busy enough time. Well, September, October is a busy enough time for coaching. So if you are interested, I would get your application in now leading up to the winter time. This is especially true if you were looking to, you know, go on a, a successful gaming phase because 
a lot of people play themselves in terms of they know how to get lean, but they don't actually know how to slowly grow over time. You know, it's like, oh, I just eat loads of calories and yeah, to an extent that works, but also to an extent that does not work. Um, so if you are interested in lean gaining or gaining muscle over the next couple of months, get in touch. Um, we have books available on the store as well. Didn't mention that. Um, but yeah, there's services that you can engage in. But realistically, if you don't want to pay us, you can still engage and get into that Facebook group because that's, that's a resource that will help you as an individual or could potentially help you as an individual and also you know yourself like it's it's nice having a community of like-minded people that are also interested in the same things that you are interested in you know so get your ass in there get your ass in there right do you have anything else to say no no but yeah i'm done peace out it's too easy it literally is